Hello, everybody. Just bear with me while I adjust. There we go. It looks a lot heavier than it actually is. So I probably look really strong. Um, like Simon said, my name is Farida, and I'm so thankful and honestly honored to be here with you guys. Um, we've actually come down before because our lovely friends, Josh and Bethana, come here with their three little girls, and we are their godparents. So um, this is a church that is close to our hearts. So it's it's lovely to be here again. Um, I work as a, an ordinand, so that basically means that I'm training to be a vicar, and I'm married to a lovely man called Jamie, who is also a worship pastor up at the church that I am training at. So that is me, and I hope that you feel like you know me a little bit as I'm talking to you today. So when I decided that I was going to take my faith into my own hands, I mentioned a little bit earlier, it was around the age of 13, 14, and it was through this thing that we do called worship. Worship was the thing that connected me to God in a new way. Something in me just felt like being able to use music and the voice that I had been given, because I sing, um, was just an incredible way to be able to access this relationship with God. And to someone who um, at the time didn't have any friends, um, it was just amazing that Jesus wanted to be my friend and that he wanted to come be connected to me in that way. And worship really opened up a door into a relationship with a loving father, a wonderful savior that I had never had previously. So it became a way for me to tell God how much I loved him, tell him how thankful I was for all the things that he had done in my life and what he was doing in my life. But it also became a way for me to cry out to him in the pain of those deep moments where I felt so alone. It was a moment for me to express that to him. That's what worship was for me. And I don't know if you're sat here thinking, I resonate with that. In the joyful moments and in the stressful times, maybe you're able to also speak and articulate those things to God through worship. So before we get any further, as Simon said, did it earlier where he got you to turn to people. I like interaction. I just want to keep you guys awake. So turn to the person next to you and say what one thing worship means to you. So what one thing off the top of your head comes into your mind when you think about worship. What is it to you? So go ahead, do that for a few moments, and then I'll draw you back in. I hope that you've managed to say one thing. Um, I hope that you've learned something about the person sat next to you as well, if you didn't know them before. Um, so worship. Today I want to talk about worship, but specifically what it means to be wholehearted in our worship, wholehearted worship. Worship that demands our everything, especially right now it feels really like apt to talk about worship because I don't know if many of you have been following along with what's happening in a tiny town in Kentucky called Asbury, um, and it seems like there is a move of God happening there, but it is centered around worship. And I just think it's so beautiful. So I thought, well, let's let's talk about it. And then Simon told me what happened here last week. And I was like, well, we definitely should talk about this. <laughs> um, but I want to focus on what it looks like to be wholehearted in our worship. 
So worship is essential because it's a way that we can express our love to God, but it's also a way that we can nurture the relationship that we have with him and that he wants to have with us. But worship can sometimes feel sacrificial. It can feel costly. And sometimes you might come to church and you hear pastors banging on about how you need to worship God with your whole selves. And you're like, what does that mean? Um, well, I want to help us to kind of understand a little bit more about what that might look like. When we worship and when we pray and we nurture our relationship with God, we put God first. We prioritize him. God wants all of us. He wants every single part of our lives. I, I love the idea that God did not die for just a part of us. He died for the whole. He died for every single area of our lives. God wants it all. And through worship, we are able to enter with our whole selves into a relationship with God. That is what he wants. And if you are here and you've, you've listened to me thus far and you're like, I don't really know this loving father. I don't really know this generous savior that you're talking about. I really want to encourage you. Maybe the bravest thing that you can do today, you might do it while I'm talking and that's totally fine, is to ask God to show you this love because he is offering it. His hands are always stretched out towards us and he wants to offer this love. So I'm totally okay if you don't listen to me and you just do that with God. Um, and I want to encourage you that this is a safe space. Um, I, I know your leaders and I know that they would love to talk to you and chat you through that. So please do come and find someone to pray with you at the end if that is you. But I just didn't want to move past without doing that first. Um, so yes, worship is a central theme in scripture, in the Bible. It is found at every stage of God's great story, every stage of it. From Eden, where Adam and Eve live with God in the garden and one another without distance and without shame. It is also found in the story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt in their cries and their groans and their desperation to be with God and to be in the promised land. It is also found in the life and the ministry of Jesus, the son of God, who only did what his father did. He only did what he saw his father doing. And ultimately, worship is found also at the end of time in that glorious city where there is no pain, no crying, and everyone is in the presence of God, the presence of our savior, it's big, it's glorious, and it is central. In Psalm 29.2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The Psalms are a wonderful book full of worship and prayer. They are a way that shows us how to live wholeheartedly. And one of the people in the Psalms who writes a, a large chunk of the Psalms is David. And I love David because he really shows what it looked like to live a life full of worship, to live a life that was completely focused and prioritized on God because it was what we were made to do. It is what we were made to do. We were made to be worshippers. We were created to be in awe and in love with our creator. And what's even more amazing, and I find it blows my mind every time, is the fact that God delights in our worship. He doesn't need our worship, but when we worship, he delights in it. He loves it because in that space, we get to build relationship with him. And ultimately, that is what he wants. I would love to use one such story in the Gospels to illustrate what it means to live wholeheartedly in worship. 
and it's found in Matthew 26. You might be familiar with it if you um, read scripture regularly. And I'm going to read it out. And, the, and if you want to follow along, please pull out your Bible, put it on your phone if you'd like to. But it will also come up on the screen because the tech team are awesome. Um, but yes, please do follow along. It says, Matthew 26, 6 to 10. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came, with, came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. I love this imagery of Jesus just reclining at the table. He's just so chill in someone's house. Um, it says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. A beautiful thing to me. And that's where I want to just stop for a second. Just so, just for some context for you, this very expensive perfume was probably valued at about 300 denarii, which is a lot of money, approximately a year's wages for a worker at that time. So it's like, the disciples are like, what the heck? This is such a waste of something that costs so much. But Jesus is like, no, this is a beautiful thing that she has done to me. Why? Because her worship was all in and it cost her a lot. This woman did not care who was in the room. And there were a lot of people in that room judging her, looking at her. A lot of religious leaders just like, what is going on? But for her, all that mattered was Jesus. All that mattered was honoring and glorifying the man that she saw before her and recognized as her savior. Nothing else mattered. She did not care about the opinions. And honestly, this is so freeing to me. Just just reading the scripture really frees me because next time I, I feel like, oh, I'm worried about the opinions of others around me. I can think back to the story and think, well, Jesus gave it all and he didn't care. So I'm going to give it all because I shouldn't care about the opinions of other people around me. My worship is centered towards the one who is worthy of it. So what does it look like to live a life of adoration and praise and honor to God? Well, I want to answer like a, a couple of questions that might help us to kind of frame this. And those questions are who we worship, where we worship, how we worship, and why we worship. So who, where, how, why? I love a good, like, I, I'm an English student, by the way, if you didn't know, I, I studied English. <laughs> um, so first question, who do we worship? The woman's response to Jesus was immediate adoration, immediate adoration. What we have been given, the grace of God through what Christ did for us on the cross is undeserved. It is unmerited. And honestly, there's nothing we can do to earn this grace. And it should cause this sort of response, this immediate adoration of, Lord, why me? But you still chose me. And because of that, I want to worship you. So at this time, God sent Jesus for our salvation. And that love that he feels towards us is what is motivating us to worship him. Adoration is our response to God's compassion 
The more we worship God and the more we spend time with him, the more we get to know his character. We discover that he is love, he is light, he is joy, and he is hope. Malachi 3.6 says, I, Yahweh, do not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can worship God even in our suffering and in our trials, even in our joys and present laughter. We can worship him because we know that our God is unchangeable. He does change, turn to someone next to you and say, our God is unchangeable. Great. Just checking that you're still with me. (laughs) The more the Holy Spirit reveals of our nature, the more we want to worship God, the more we want to spend time with him. It's a reflex action, just like breathing. We don't wake up in the morning and think, oh, maybe we should take a breath. It just happens. And that is essentially what worship becomes when we know the character of God. So the second question is, that was who we worship. The second question is where we worship. And this is usually the tricky part because generally speaking, most of us here kind of get the concept that when we turn up to this building, there's going to be a slot of time where we worship. We sing songs to God. But it's not easy to also view things like writing an essay or taking a walk. Maybe that might be for some of you, but taking a walk or cooking dinner or trying to rustle up the kids to to get out of the house. Most people would not view that as something that is a worshipful act. But the first line of Psalm 150 says this. It says, praise God, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. The Bible uses the term sanctuary quite loosely. The Garden of Eden in Genesis is described as a sanctuary. So is the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord dwelled with his people. That's a sanctuary. So was the temple in Jerusalem. But also all of God's creation is viewed as his sanctuary. The psalmist is also then saying, you can praise God in his mighty heavens. So the heavens are also God's sanctuary. This means that it doesn't give us an option as to where we get to praise and worship God. Every single place that we are, we can worship God. Every single thing that we do, we can worship God. It's not, it doesn't limit worship to just these four walls on a Sunday. It expands it to every area of our life. Just like that woman who in a living room space worshiped Jesus by pouring that oil, um, onto his, that perfume onto his head in a packed room. We can worship Jesus in the comfort of our homes and also in the world around us. It is human nature to want to compartmentalize God to certain parts of our lives. Like, oh God, I'll just give you access to this bit. You can be a Sunday God, or you can be a Wednesday God, or Tuesday God. But Lord, I don't want to give you all of my week. He becomes easier to love maybe when we're doing a connect group Bible study, or whether you are here on a Sunday, but not when we are ripping our hair out because our flatmates are frustrating us or whether we're ripping our hair out because family members are frustrating us. He becomes easier to love in certain spaces. But this psalmist here in Psalm 150 is saying, actually, there is literally no part of your life that God does not have access to. It Everything belongs to God. It's one thing to believe that we can do, that we can worship God in everything that we do. But it's another thing to live this reality and actually feel like we can. 
in the midst of our tiredness, of our jobs, of our distracted lives. It can be hard to bring God into those areas of our lives. So this can mean it's easier to just worship God in these four walls. But I want to encourage you that this woman's worshipful act did not take place in a church building. It didn't involve singing a song, but it did involve the presence of God. It involved the presence of God, and he is everywhere. We believe that his presence is in us and in everything that we find in this world. So it is more than possible to worship God in the everyday, in the things that don't outrightly seem like they are worshipful acts, because the presence of God is constantly with us. And if we believe that his spirit resides with us, then every breath we breathe, every step we take becomes an act of worship to God to glorify his name. So that is the where, the, the who and the where. Who can remember what the next one was? I'll tell you, don't worry. It was the how, the how. So when it comes to worship, and this is what I really want to focus on, is being wholehearted. And that is where the how kicks in. Like I said at the start, God is not really interested in anything less than our whole hearts in worship. He surrendered his life so that we could come and give him all of ourselves in worship. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. Hands up, how many people know the feeling of jealousy? Yeah? Oh, come on. Well, I know the feeling of jealousy because me, I don't even like sharing my food. I like, it's a difficult thing for me to share chicken, let alone share like my husband who I love. Like if some other woman came to share my husband, I wouldn't like that. So why do we think that our Lord and Savior who sent himself down to this earth to die for our sins would want to share us with any other thing that we choose to worship? Jesus came for all of us, for our whole heart. And the woman in the story demonstrated what it looks like to then, in response to his whole giving of self, give our whole self by pouring this very prized possession onto Jesus's feet. She gave him what she had and she gave it voluntarily. She chose to do it. There are a multitude, multitude of ways of how we can worship God But that's not the main point. The main point is that we do it with our whole hearts, with our whole selves, that we bring everything we have and we offer it to God. With everything at our disposal, whether it's graphic design skills, whether it's your analytical brain, whether it's your hospitality skills, whether it's just how you want to honor and raise your kids in this world, We bring everything that we have because it is all a gift from God and we offer it back up to him and we wait and we see what he does with it. Lastly, I want to talk about the why. The why we should worship. In the Psalms, it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if you are here and you are breathing, you can praise the Lord. Amen. Genesis 2-7 says, then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the, gra- of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and that man became a living person. The very foundation of the entire story of the Bible is that the creator God created us and gave us the breath of life so that we could what? We could use that same breath to worship him. So that every single part of our lung capacity and our life will be able to give him praise. So everyone who has received the breath of God can praise him. 
And he's the only one who is worthy to receive that worship because of the love and the grace that he has shown us through Jesus Christ. But living a life of wholehearted worship is also modeled to us through Jesus. And it all comes back to this one word, surrender. And if you have not heard anything else that I have said today, I really want you to hear this bit. It all comes back to surrender. In Luke 22, 41 to 33, it speaks of Jesus's last night before he gets arrested. And he's in the garden and he's praying on the evening of his arrest. And Jesus is praying for another option. And I love this because this is the humanity of our savior, friends. He is like, Lord, uh, can you hear me? If there's anything else that I can do instead of going to the cross, I'm here for it. And I've been in that situation so many times where I'm like, do I really have to do that? God, is that really what you want me to do? Because it looks painful and I don't really want to do that. Um, and then he says what I believe is the most worshipful statement of surrender in the Bible. He says, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. This statement of complete and total surrender from the lips of our precious Savior humbles me. And it makes me love him even more because he gave his breath on the cross so that we might have freedom, breathe new life into us so that we would be able to worship God. And then he calls us to do the same thing with our lives. God can do impossible things. He can do impossible things, but in that he calls us to do things that sometimes seem impractical. It is impractical sometimes to turn up to the space and lift your hands. It feels hard. Worship is sacrifice. It is meant to cost us something. It cost Christ his life on that cross so that we might be able to have the freedom to do that, to be able to lift our hands and to surrender our lives to God. It's our worshipful way of saying, Lord, here I am, similar to what Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Here I am, have all of me. And it's the hardest thing to do when we're going through the storms of life. And just one story as I came in, as I come into land, um, I love talking about things that God is essentially teaching me myself. So this, this kind of preach came out of a place where I was going through it. It was lockdown. Who here remembers lockdown? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever forget that one. Um, it was lockdown and we did these things online where we would worship with our congregation through a screen. I can't believe that's what we used to do, <laughs> but we did. Um, and during this time, I was having real struggle with my mental health. Just being locked inside was not doing me any favors. And there was just a lot going on in my personal life. And I remember turning up to one of these sessions to worship and thinking, Lord, I just do not want to be here. I don't know how I'm going to worship you, lead people in worship authentically in this moment when I just don't want to do it. Um, and as we were worshiping, my husband was, was leading and I just, I don't even think I'd really opened my mouth much during that worship time. Um, and as we were leading, he, there was a space and the Lord spoke to me and he gave me a song. And um, I'm just going to sing a little bit. I'm going to be really self-indulgent and sing a little bit of it. Um, and it went, you speak peace into chaos, calming the sea, because you are the one who brings storms to their knees. Oh, Lord Jesus, that is who you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was um, the song that he gave me. And it just kept going round and around and around in my head. 
Um, and I was so grateful because in all honesty, he reminded me that day that that is the God that I serve, the God who for nothing is impossible, the God who can't, who literally speaks into chaos and speaks peace, the God who calms storms, who calms seas. And I needed to be reminded of that. But if I hadn't even stepped into that space to worship him, I wouldn't have given him the opportunity to be able to remind me of who he is. And that song has become a song that I have held on to tightly for the rest of my life um, and will continue to. But it's also a song that has now blessed others because we ended up finishing it as a song and our congregations now sing it. And I hope and pray that it can do the same thing for them that it did for me. Remind them of the savior that we love and we serve. So yes, we will keep singing songs. We will keep playing music on instruments and we will keep gathering as a community to worship. But I also hope and my prayer for you guys as a community is that we can step into this deeper intimacy of sacrifice, of surrendering our lives, our whole lives and our whole selves to God and waiting and watching to see what he does with it. Is that okay? Yeah, so... We're going to we're going to do that now. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. <laughs> we're going to do that now. We're going to practice what we preach, right? So if you want to stand